through the list of classes to find that there in those cases is not one single class on prayer. I find that astounding. The disciples came to Jesus one day and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to heal. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to minister. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so many Bible colleges and Christian universities, they have classes on the Bible, that's good. They have classes on theology, that's good. They have classes on ministry, that's good. But not a single class on prayer. And I decided, at our Bible college, we're going to have a class on prayer. So we called it the power of prayer, and we decided we would offer it to the students. We have about 300 students, and when we offered it, we didn't know what was going to happen. 80 students signed up for the class. It was the largest single class we have ever had at our Bible college. And every Tuesday night for 15 weeks, that classroom became an upper room. And we saw God moving in such profound and wonderful ways. And the thing we learned is the thing I want to talk to you about this morning, and that is that God answers prayer. A great man of God named J.C. Ryle once wrote, I have read the lives of many well-known Christians who have been on earth since Bible days. Some of them were rich, some of them were poor. Some of them were learned, some of them were unlearned. Some of them were of one denomination, some of them of another. Some chose to use liturgy, some chose to use none. But one thing I see they all had in common is that they were all people of prayer. Prayer has obtained things that seemed impossible and out of reach. Prayer opened the Red Sea. Prayer brought water from the rock. Prayer brought bread from heaven. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought down fire on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer overthrew the enemies of God's people. Prayer has healed the sick. Prayer has raised the dead. Prayer has brought the conversion of countless souls. Therefore, above all else, pray, 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 for God answers prayer. And if there is one chapter in the Bible that reminds people that God answers prayer, it is Psalm 107. In fact, if you have a pen, you could just write above the word Psalm 107, the phrase, God answers prayer. This psalm is easy to understand because four times in the psalm, you find a repeated phrase. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Four times you find that. Now look at it, if you will, in verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. You get the point? That when you cry to the Lord in trouble, he's going to hear and answer your prayer. But what's so amazing, those four phrases give us four pictures, four 
four places where you see God answers prayer. Today, as we're going to see, as the psalm begins, all of a sudden you're thrown out into the middle of the wilderness, and there's some people there. They're hungry and thirsty, desperate for provision when they pray. God answers the prayer for provision. But he no sooner answers the prayer for provision than you're thrown into a dungeon, and there you find people bound and chained, and they need to be set free. And they cry out to God in prayer, and he breaks their chains, and he sets them free. But he no sooner answers that prayer than all of a sudden you're thrown into a hospital room. And there's a person in a sickbed, they're so sick they're about maybe to die. And they cry out to God in prayer. And he heals and answers their prayer and raises them up out of their sickness. But he no sooner answers that prayer than you're thrown out into the middle of the ocean where there's some sailors there. They're in the worst storm of their life. They cry out to God and he hears and answers their prayer. And the psalm shows no matter who you are, no matter where you are, God hears and answers prayer. The psalm begins in verses 1 to 3 with a brief introduction. Look there at what it says. The psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. The key phrase, verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, and you know the word redeemed is found often in the Bible, and the word redeemed is sometimes used of a person who's in sin and they're bought out of that slavery to sin in ancient times. A person who was a slave had no way of getting out of that slavery unless a gracious person would come and buy them out of the slavery and set them free, and it was called redemption, being redeemed. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But that's not what this phrase is talking about in verse 2. When it's saying, let the redeemed of the Lord, it could be translated, let the rescued of the Lord. It's a much broader term. No matter what circumstance you're in, if God has rescued you out of that circumstance, then give a testimony to the fact that God has delivered you from that trouble you're in. It kind of reminds me of the church that I grew up in when I was young. I grew up in a a country church, and on Sunday night, as part of the service, they used to have what they called testimony time. I always like that testimony time. I see some of you not even in churches that had testimony time. What would happen is they would have worship like we did this morning, and then the pastor would get up and say, well, let's just have testimony time. And does anyone here have a testimony? And brother so-and-so, he would stand up on the side and he would say, you know what, all of you have been praying for a long time that God would provide a job. I lost my job. I just want all of you to know that this week I got a new job, better than my old job that pays more than my old job. And everybody would applaud, oh, praise the Lord, thank God. And then sister so-and-so, she would stand up and she would say, I just want all of you to know that that the Lord has healed me this week. I've had this illness for a long time, and all of you have been praying, and God totally and instantly healed me. And everybody would applaud again, oh, praise the Lord, thank God for that testimony. And then brother so-and-so would stand up on the other side, and he, he would say, I, I just want all of you to know that I've been praying for my prodigal son. He's been out in the world so long. This week, he came back. He came back, and he's here with me today, and everybody would applaud. 
redeemed of the Lord say so? In other words, when you cry out to God and he hears and answers your prayer, then let other people know that God answers prayer. And if you ever wonder whether God answers prayer, or if you ever forget that God answers prayer, all of a sudden, in verses 4 through 9, the song throws you out into the middle of the wilderness. And there you find people desperate for provision. And God hears and answers their prayer. And look at what he says, verse 4 through 9. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they may go to their city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men will give thanks for the Lord, for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. In other words, when you need God's provision, if you pray, he will hear and answer your prayer. Now, Old Testament saints, when they read this part of the psalm, they, they couldn't help but think of the children of Israel out in the wilderness. Here were some three million people. They were in the middle of the wilderness. They had no food. They had no water. And what did they do? They cried out to God. And God brought bread from heaven. God brought water out of the rock. You don't think that's a big deal? Find a stick. Go find a rock and whack it today and see what happens. Unbelievable. And if God did that for them, he can do that for you. And me, he can provide what we need. New Testament believers, when they read this part of the psalm, they couldn't help but thinking of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men. Matthew 14, it tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 men, but with women and children, some 20,000 people. He took five loaves and two fish, multiplied it, and they were all filled. And what does it show? It shows that God can provide what you need, whatever that need might be. I like Philippians 4, verse 19. It says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Oh, yes, he can. But not that he can. He will. He will. I like Psalm 37, verse 25. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsake. And I've never seen their seed begging for bread. No matter who you are, when you need provision, if you just cry out to God, he will hear and answer that prayer. That's what a great man of God named George Mueller knew. Perhaps some of you have heard of George Mueller before. In the 1800s, he founded all these orphanages in London where he clothed and fed thousands of homeless children. And time and time again, he would see God provide for their needs. And he records many of the stories in a great book everyone should read. The title says it all. It's a book called A Million and a Half Answers to Prayer. And in that book, he tells one famous story. He got up one morning in the orphanage, and there was absolutely no food in the cupboards at all. The children were gathering in the dining hall, and one little girl came up to him and said, Mr. Mueller, what's for breakfast this morning? He said, oh, come, little one, and you will see what God will do. He sat all the children down at their empty plates there in the dining hall, and he began to pray.
providing for us. We know you're going to provide again. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the door. He opened the door. It was the town banker. The town banker said, the Lord woke me up at 3 o'clock this morning and told me your orphans were going to need bread today. Can you use all of this bread? Oh, thank you so much, he said. And he put a little loaf of bread on each one of their plates. He had no sooner put the loaf of bread on their plate. All of a sudden, there was another knock on the door. He opened the door. He was the town milkman. The milkman told me, he said, you know what? My milk cart just happened to break down right in front of your orphanage. And all of this milk is going to spoil. Could the orphans use this milk? Oh, yes, said Mr. Mueller. Thank you so much. And he learned what we're saying today, that God answers prayer. If you need provision, if you call out to God, he will provide for your needs. But God no sooner answers prayer in the wilderness when all of a sudden in verses 10 through 16, you're thrown into a dungeon, and there you found the verse, find a person so bound by chains, they're in darkness, they need to be set free. And when they pray, God sets them free. Look at it in verse 10 to 16. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death found in affliction and iron. Because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. He fell down and there was none to help. But then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death. Then he broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men will give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron into when people are bound and they need to be set free. If we cry out to God, he will set them free. Now, Old Testament saints, when they read this part of the song, they couldn't help but think of the children of Israel that had been taken away in captivity by the Babylonians. They were bound in shackles and chains. And they were put into labor and slavery in Babylon. But when the time was right, God answered their prayer. He broke those chains and set them free. And they went back to the promised land. They rebuilt their temple. They rebuilt their walls. They rebuilt their city. Why? Because God can set people free when they are bound. New Testament believers, when they read this portion of the song, they couldn't help but think of the demon-possessed man in Gadara. In Mark chapter 5, it tells us Jesus and the disciples went ashore in Gadara. And out comes a demon-possessed man. And Jesus goes to cast out the demon, and he says, what is your name? And the man says, Legion, for we are many. A legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. I take the Bible literally. I see no good reason not to believe that that man was inhabited by 6,000 demons. The worst case of demon possession ever recorded in the Bible. And yet, Jesus, in an instant, totally and completely set that man free. Why? Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't care if a person is bound by drugs, if they're bound by alcohol, if they're bound by pornography. God answers the prayers of his people to set them free. And over a moment's we know for sure Pastor Ralph Sutter and many of you know his story.
Missouri, was out in the world for 19 years, bound by drugs, bound by alcohol, bound by pornography, and yet in a hotel room, in an instant, God totally and set, completely set him free. And what God did for him, he can do for any person. I just feel I need to say to some of you who are here today, that maybe there's somebody you've been praying for. Don't stop praying for that person. Because God's going to set that person free. But God not only answers prayer in the wilderness for provision, and God not only answers prayer in the dungeon to set the captive free, all of a sudden now you're thrown into a hospital room. And there you find a person that's sick, really sick. You're about to die. And you find out that God can hear, the, hear and answer the prayer for healing. Notice, if you will, in verse 17 to 22, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And they cried out to the Lord of their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word, and he healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. All the men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works. For the children of men, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Notice that phrase in verse 20 again. He sent his word and what? Healed them. When they were sick and they cried out, God brought back healing. Old Testament saints, when they read this part of the song, they couldn't help but think of King Hezekiah. You remember the story, perhaps, of King Hezekiah. He got sick one day, really sick, desperately sick. And the Lord spoke to Isaiah the prophet and said, I want you to go to the palace, and I want you to tell Hezekiah, Hezekiah, you're going to die. You're going to die from this illness. And so Isaiah was obedient. He went to the king's palace. He went into the king's chamber and he said, King Hezekiah, I just want you to know God told me to come and tell you that you're not going to survive. You're going to die. The Bible says that Isaiah the prophet, he walked out of the room. He started walking across the courtyard of the palace. And King Hezekiah on his bedbed. The Bible says he turned his face to the wall. He just began to pray. Oh God, this is going to die. I don't want to die. I believe there's more. Please, God. Hear and answer my prayer. And Isaiah is walking across the courtyard, and all of a sudden, God speaks to Isaiah, turn around. Go back. Go back there and tell him. I'm going to And God told him, and instantly healed Hezekiah. Why? Because our God is a healing God. Oh. New Testament believers, when they read this part of the song, they couldn't help but think of the healing of the centurion's servant recorded in Luke 7. You remember the story. There was a centurion, and he had a servant that was sick unto death. He sent some messengers to Jesus, asking Jesus to pray for his servant. Jesus said, I'd be glad to come. And so with the messengers, he starts making his way to the centurion's house. The centurion finds out. He sends more messengers. And those messengers tell Jesus, that here's what the centurion says. Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word. Just say the word. And from a distance, Jesus spoke a word and healed that man. Verse 20. He sent his word and healed that man. Why? Because 
God answers the prayer for healing. And somebody says, well, doesn't always heal. I know that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't ever heal. He does. I've seen it happen time and time. Again, I think of our pastor, Lowe He was feeling a pain one day several years ago. They thought it was his appendix or whatever. He goes into the hospital and they start doing some tests. He's asleep. He wakes up and all of his family surrounding the bed is like, what's going on here? And the doctor says, you have leukemia and you're not going to survive. Well, we begin to pray. Pastor Chuck began to pray. Ray Lord began to pray. So many people began to pray. And God totally and instantly healed him of that leukemia. Why? Because God hears and answers prayer. No matter how sick the person is, God can heal that person and raise them up. But God not only hears, hears and answers prayer in the wilderness, and he not only hears and answers prayer in the dungeon, and he not only hears and answers prayer in the hospital, now all of a sudden, you're thrown out into the middle of the ocean. And there some sailors are in the worst storm of their life. Notice if you will in verse 23 through 32. Those that go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands the commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves to the heavens. They mount up to the heavens, they go down into the depths. Their souls ask the comfort of trouble. They reel to and fro and stare like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. Out there going, you almost get seasick reading that company. You can feel it, and the waves are up, and the waves are down, and you're going this way, and you're going that way. And notice this little phrase at the end of verse 27. They're at their wits, and experienced sailors who know what they're doing, now all of a sudden, they're beyond themselves. They don't know what to do anymore. Ever been there? I have so many times. I've gone to God in prayer, oh Lord. I've talked to this person, I've talked to that person, I've talked to the other person. God, I even Googled it, and I still don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. What do you do when you're at your wit's end? In the worst storm of your life, while you cry to the Lord, verse 28, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still, and then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desire and feed them. Oh, let them have thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. See, when you're in the worst storm of your life, if you cry out to God, he will hear and answer your prayer. Old Testament saints, when they read this part of the psalm, they, they couldn't help but thinking of Job. Job? the most righteous man in his generation, a godly man, praying for his children every day just in case they sin. And then all of a sudden, one day, everything in his life fell apart. He lost all of his possessions. He lost all of his children in one day. It's one thing to lose your father and mother. It's another thing to lose your husband or wife and tell them the deepest grief anyone ever experienced. You know, he loses one. He loses all of them. In one day. And then his wife and his friends turn against him. You talk about being in the worst storm of your life, but you read the book of Job and he cries out to God, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. Please help me. And at the end of the book of Job, you find out the Lord did hear and answer his prayer. 
God will meet you in the worst storm of your life. Hey, New Testament believers, when they read this part of the psalm, they couldn't help but thinking of Jesus stilling the storm on the Sea of Galilee. You remember the story in Mark chapter 4? The disciples are with Jesus in a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They come in the first storm of their life. They wake Jesus up. Lord, Lord, Lord. Jesus gets up and speaks to the wind and the waves and says, Peace, be still. And there was a perfect calm. Why? Because when you're in the worst storm of your life, you call out to God. He will hear and answer your prayer. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 50 and verse 15. Here's what it says. Here's what God says to you today. Call on me in the day of trouble. And I will hear you and answer your prayer, and you will glorify me. Oh, hear the word of the Lord to you today. When you're in the first storm, God can hear and answer your prayer. Well, God not only answers prayer in the wilderness, and God not only answers prayer in the dungeon, God not only answers prayer in the hospital, and God not only answers prayer in the middle of the ocean, God can answer prayer anywhere. And that's the point of verse 33 and 42. God can turn any situation around. Look at it. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a wilderness. He turns water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. They, they knew that. That had happened often where the land just dried up. But then they cried out to the Lord and he turned it around in a minute. Verse 36. There, I'm sorry, verse 35. He turns wildernesses into a pool of water. And dry land into water springs. He makes the hungry well, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. He so fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, that they may multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression and affliction and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander where there is no way. He, yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction. And he makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice. And all iniquity stops its mouth. What's the point? The point is, whatever the situation, wherever you are, God can hear and answer prayer and turn it around, whatever it is in the moment. The result is with verse 43. Whoever is wise will observe these things. And they will understand loving kindness of the Lord. Whoever is wise will observe these things. What's it saying? A wise person knows God is true. Are you a wise person? A wise person knows when you're in the wilderness, God can answer your prayer. When you're in the dungeon, God can answer your prayer. When you're in the hospital, God can answer your prayer. When you're in the worst storm of your life, God can answer your prayer. Wise people call out to God in their trouble because they know that he will deliver them out of their distresses. And if there's anybody who knew that, it was a young woman named Janelle McMillan. I finished this morning with her true story. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in all of my life. It is recorded in a great book you should 
called Breakthrough Prayer. In that book, she tells a story. She says, the morning of September 11, 2001, began for me like many other mornings. I got to work a little after 8 a.m. and rode the elevator up to the 64th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center where I worked. Most of the staff was in India and I was making small talk with a co-worker when it happened. Suddenly the building began to shake. What was that? An earthquake in Lower Manhattan? I had no idea that Flight 11 of American Airlines had just slammed into the building. A few moments later, the building began swaying and rocking. I, I couldn't believe it. A second plane had hit the South Tower. Oh my God, I said, the building is going down. But one of the engineers, an old man, kept saying, it won't fall, it won't fall. It's designed not to fall. Not long afterwards, we heard another huge noise. The building was swaying and shaking me, and this time I was sure I was going to be all going to die. We had no idea that the South Tower had just collapsed and it would only be a matter of minutes before our tower would go down as well. Knowing we had to do something, we headed down stairway B. As we ran down together, we kept counting the stairs. 64, 63, 62, 61, 60, 59, 58, down and down we went. And as we went down the stairs, we could see firefighters going up the stairs. They told us to keep going, that we'd be all right. By the time we reached the 13th floor, my leather high heels were killing my feet, so I stopped to remove them. Then all of a sudden, the whole building just went boom. Everything went black. Then the building started to collapse. 110 floors were coming down on top of us. Falling concrete and debris smashed me down onto my knees, and my eyes and my mouth were filled with grit and dust. It was surreal, like a horrible dream. There was nothing we could do, and there was nowhere we could go. We were being buried alive, and the sound of it was deafening. Then it suddenly, as it started, it stopped. And things got quiet really quiet. My mind started racing and I thought my husband, my children, my family, how I would never see them again. So there, all alone, in the dark, buried under all that rubble, I began to pray. Oh God, no. I cried, please let me live. Please let me live. <coughs> she writes, the minutes seemed like hours, and the hours seemed like days. But then I heard it. It was a beep, beep sound of a truck backing up. So I began to cry out for help. Finally, as I called out again and again, someone yelled out, hello, hello, hello? Is someone in there? Yes, I said. My name is Janelle. Help me. By now I could see a little bit of daylight coming through a crack above my head. So I stuck my hand up through it. Can you see my hand? I shouted. Someone grabbed a hold of Janelle, I've got you. You're gonna be all right. Oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, I prayed. 
She says, it had been 27 hours since the towers collapsed. And I, Janelle McMillan, was the last survivor to be pulled out of the wreckage that had once been the World Trade Center towers. I spent weeks recovering in the hospital, she says. The doctor said I never walk again, but I do. And I am living proof that God's help is only a prayer awake. That whoever you are, and wherever you are, that if you cry out to God, He will give you an answer. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this.